Well, uh, we are in Luke 17. We are plodding along in our great Luke. Uh, you'll notice, remember, we are still on the way to Jerusalem. Remember, we started in the great, the great miracles that Christ is working in his hometown. Uh, but we've been in this journey of moving on the way towards Jerusalem and this continual call, do you want to be a disciple? I mean, what we've also noticed is the audience has switched kind of back and forth. Some weeks he's been talking to the disciples, some weeks to the Pharisees. The last couple of weeks we've been talking to the Pharisees, but today we're going to kind of switch back to the disciples. Um, our text will start in, in verse 5 and 17, but I want to kind of summarize the first four verses before we begin. Um, in the beginning of Luke 17, he has a warning. Um, and the warning is this one. Be careful, you're not a bad influence on others. Now, it would have been like to say, and be happy when you're a good influence. But Jesus starts, like he also deals with the issue in other times about when we lead children astray, it's better for you to have bad things happen to you than lead children astray. Um, and I would say it is, well, let me ask you this question. Um, and this could be rhetorical. I wish this was more like a Sunday school, but it's so fun. When are you not evangelizing? Right? When you're sleeping. That's a good answer. That's right. The reality is we are influencing others all the time. The question isn't what are you... So the evangelist means to bear witness to something, right? Um, so it's not a matter of if you're evangelizing, but to what are you evangelizing? Right? If anyone were to watch me last night in the BSU game, there were moments I was evangelizing good things and bad things. Right? Uh, I, also, I was flipping back and forth in the Husky game as well, and that game didn't go so well. So I was, yeah, okay, well, more power to you. Um, and so it's a responsibility for us. Um, and for those of you who um, are around others, uh, recognize that, be aware of how we're influencing. Now, the positive thing is, so be a positive influence. Um, and there is a kind of little pressure there that says people are watching. Um, and it's not about who's on stage. No, no. It's about all of our life, how we interact with our family members, who we, where we go to the grocery store. What kind of things are we bearing witness to and is it honor God? If I were to ask you, it would be a great conversation. We don't have time for this today, but I'd love to know who have been some great examples for you in your life. I'm sure you have some people who are very important. My dad is here today. He's driving me to the airport. Uh, my parents were great examples. They passed on several of their OCD habits to me, uh, so I'm grateful. Um, but between my parents and grandparents, uh, easily, they taught me not only a love for God, but a love for the church. In fact, my Christianity doesn't know a Christianity that's not part of a local church. Um, and it's a great blessing. I've had many great pastors, uh, youth pastors and lead pastors, and many friends. And I feel very, very fortunate about all the positive examples I've had. I imagine many of you have had some, some wonderful examples as well. Now, an awkward question. Don't answer it out loud. Who have been bad examples for you? Right? I imagine there have been a few folks for whom, um, along the way, uh, they have not been a blessing. Um, and Jesus is just saying to us, while we are going to make some mistakes along the road, we ask for forgiveness, but how important it is that we set a good example for those in our world. And the biggest example is this. As you're allowing God's love to fill your life, how can that love be pouring out towards others? The theme Christ goes right into then is on forgiveness. 
Um, so forgiveness is kind of the main idea of our conversation today. Um, and forgiveness is tricky. Um, forgiveness is about being set free. And I would say forgiveness is not necessarily about forgetting. Because sometimes the forgetting can be like unhealthy. But forgiveness is how can we be set free? Both the things that we've done to others and the things uh, that we have done. And what Christ says in verse 4 is that if folks sin against you, one, two, three, four, up to seven times, you've got to keep forgiving. And in fact, in different parts of the Gospels, it says it's just 70 times seven. And so, and what we're saying is that's not, for those who are good at math, that's not 491st time they can then get rid stop, stop doing it. But the bad math people have no clue what I just did there. That's fine. Um, the point is, this is a forgiveness without calculation. Now, again, it's very important. God does not want us to be doormats, right? God is not encouraging us to stay in bad relationships that are harmful and abusive. So we've got to be careful there. But ultimately, the call of the kingdom is that we are to offer forgiveness. Now, again, we talk a lot about the timing of that. I'll just say this briefly. I'm very nervous in the church. We throw out our Bible verses and we force victims or force folks who've been sinned against to forgive right away. If you don't forgive, God can't forgive you. Now, I think that's true, but often there's important timings for grieving. There's some great books out there about you can forgive too early, right? So it is about being set free and it's a balance there. Um, but when the important thing forgiving is not simply to let your life be abused by others, but is how can we be set free? And so Christ is saying when someone sins against you, we need to find a place to forgive them. But it can be hard, and it's not always easy. One of my favorite lessons, because it's a hard lesson, comes from the parable of the unmerciful servant. To me, remember that story. There was a guy who, for some reason, uh, would have squandered it or somehow had bad, you know, some kind of bad scheme, uh, owed uh, an exorbitant amount of money to the king. In fact, some would say it'd be similar to more than our current national debt. It's like someone who just squandered the king's resources in terrible, terrible ways. A very, very awkward Ponzi scheme that went down very, very badly. And so what would happen, you heard debtor's jail, is um, the king brought him in and said, this is not good. Uh, you and your family will go to jail until you pay it off, which meant you and your family go to jail for the rest of your life. It's an amount that no one could pay back. And so the servant says, have mercy on me, please. I don't want to go to jail. And the king looks at him and says, your debts are forgiven. Whoa. That same day, that same person who had just been forgiven a debt, a life sentence, goes out and finds someone who owes him a day's wage. Sorry, one day's wages. And the, in the Greek language, that one servant who owes him a day's wages used the exact same words as that man, servant number one, asked of the king. Please forgive me. Is there any, any you know, can you help me out? And that first servant, just forgive the national debt, says, nope, go to jail. Well, some of the other servants who had seen the first guy get off they go back to the king and say, we'll call him Bob. You know what Bob just did? We'll call the other guy Sam. Bob, just you just forgave him the national debt. 
and we're in trouble, wouldn't forgive Sam, one of our fellow uh, friends, a day's wage. So the king calls Bob in. And Bob gets to say nothing. And the king says, I've just extended grace to you. You couldn't extend grace for a day's wage. You and your family are going to the jail forever. Boom. Wow. It's hard sayings. What's one of the morals of that kind of lesson? Bob, forgiven the national debt, did not embrace the forgiveness and new life he had been offered. It had not changed him. Even though he forgave the, forgiven the national debt, he was still living under a, an awkward kind of space of no grace. And the lesson is this. As we can experience God's forgiveness and grace in our life, we can then extend that grace to others, right? Um, but some people, you can tell by the way they live, they've not received the healing and loving grace in their life. And it's hard. So that's kind of studying for our text today. Well, let's go to our text. Um, I'd like you to stand as you're able. Again, Luke 17, verse 5 uh, through 10. This is another thrilling passage that will warm your heart. But not a stretch of really, Jesus says some hard things. Okay, Luke 17, verse 5. I'm reading the common English uh, version. So he, Jesus had just said to them, you got to forgive the person seven times. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Then he tells a story. Would any of you say to your servant who has just come in from the field after plowing or tending sheep, come, sit down for dinner? Wouldn't you say instead, fix my dinner, put on the clothes of a table servant and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you can eat and drink. You won't thank the servant because the servant did what you asked, will you? In the same way, when you have done everything required of you, you should say, we servants deserve no special praise. We have only done our duty. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Or you can keep standing. Anyone's fine with me. (laughs) So the disciples are hearing these hard words of the Pharisees. Jesus just said, we've got to forgive somebody over and over again. And they're like, this is too hard. Help us. And this appears to be a very like genuine like cry. And you'd think that Jesus would offer some words of comfort, but no, a harsh response comes in. Um, now, what is faith? Um, you know, I love, I love the verse, uh, is it Hebrews? I should look it up. Hebrews 11 something. One, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. Faith is a kind of trust that we place. And the reality is we have faith in lots of things, right? Uh, we have faith in the chair you're sitting on. Hopefully it won't break. We have faith in cars that hopefully won't break. What's harder, we have faith in relationships. We hope those will go well. Um, And and faith is not to be a void of reason, but faith is putting trust in something else. It's going to be rhetorical. Is faith hard or easy for you? Maybe it depends on the situation. And it appears here that for some of us, there are degrees of faith. 
you might have good faith that I have a donut for you in the office. Or if I have a, or if I say I have a new car for you in Nampa, your faith can be stretched a little more. Really? <laughs> faith is a dynamic trusting in God. And one of the questions we ask is, what does it mean to have faith? So ask you this question. What causes your faith to grow, to be bolstered? What causes your faith to be weakened? For me, I would say, um, my faith grows most powerfully when I see the lives of others who, are, who have sometimes faced challenges but are still leaning in and trusting God. To be honest with you, my, late, my life has not been that hard. I've had a very blessed life filled with lots of great things. I've come across many people, often my students, who I hear their backgrounds, and it's, it's horrific, and yet they've found faith along the way. My faith is bolstered as I see others, like many of you, whose lives have not always gone as they had hoped. And there is hurt, and there are some pains and scars, but they've leaned into God to help them through these hard times. It increases my faith, I'm encouraged. As I was a kid, um, whenever the pastor didn't want to preach on Sunday night, you have testimony night, right? Sunday night service, for those of you who are old, uh, old know what that is. Young people don't know what that is. We said church on Sunday nights. We'd always have testimonies. And about, you know, one out of every five testimonies was kind of awkward. The old people have the mic and say interesting things. But oftentimes as a kid, those testimonies, as a kid, I remember hearing folks just talk about God's faithfulness to them throughout the years. I imagine if we had testimony night here, we'd be blessed by that. I think we'd do more of those things, right? We should hear our stories. It's not that people's lives were perfect, but it's often when tragedy struck, how God and the church have been close. Or to say, I'm really struggling in my faith. Things are not going well. And they have the church surround them when they didn't have the strength to pray, when they didn't know how to believe. Um, my faith is weakened by sometimes Christians who say and do harsh and mean things to others. Like a different version of the unmerciful servant, often in Christ's name, kind of they're throwing out daggers that tend to destroy and hurt others. And we could go on about those things that weaken faith as well. The disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. Would you want that to be your prayer? What does that mean? Um, I think we have to be careful how we ask that prayer. The increasing of faith, and as we see by Jesus' response, the disciples thought, we want this faith to help make our lives a bit easier to do this thing. And Jesus said to them, you have no clue what you're talking about. Here's the thing. To increase our faith is not a faith that will make living our life easier but it's saying, God, would you allow me to live in a space that's more uncomfortable so I can have more space to rely upon you? Now, this is my issue. Maybe is isn't your issue. I have the gift of being responsible. I'm an achiever. I want to get things done. I take care of myself. I'm like, all right, get it done. And the problem I have is, do I live in places, being responsible and thoughtful and conscientious, how do I live in places where God has room to act? Now, God's not telling us to be irresponsible and to do crazy things, necessarily. But I think sometimes 
to increase our faith is to say, God, I want to be able to have the courage to risk more in circumstances that I can't control. I like to set things up so I'm in charge. I control the parameters. I can kind of make it happen. And God, would you bless my plans? Versus God saying, what does it mean that God wants to be Lord of the plans? So I'm not always sure I want God to increase my faith. The disciples knew that it was not going good, but he said, this faith you seek, you don't have a clue. For if you, the saying we know in several of the Gospels, if you have the faith of a tiny mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds, you can say a big tree, go in the water, or the mountains move. Um, and I wonder, do, do we live in places of faith? Here's the other thing I also know that's hard. Some of us have had great faith that God could do certain things. Let's just take the issue of, of sickness. We had great faith that Bob could heal Julie. And we prayed. We knew it. We believed it. But many we had Julie's in our life, and Julie's passed away. Um, so for some of us, we've been through scenarios where the faith wasn't the issue. It was the outcome was not what we wanted. And some of us are like, well, I'm a chink in my faith here. There have been things in your life, I'm sure, that have challenged your faith along the way. And Jesus invites us to say, if you can trust me, I will be there. Which does not mean life is going to go how you want it to go all the time. And anybody over the age of two knows that that's true. And I'm not getting a cookie to all the things that you all experience. I'm sure many blessings, but some hard things as well. Faith is not God's promise that you'll get things and they'll go how we want. Faith is saying, when things don't go well, can we still let God be part of the Lord of our life? As God's allowed some things to go. Jesus then tells an awkward story. Talks about, from the master's perspective, he says to this man, if you had a servant, a scenario of this one person in your house, only had one servant. The servant was out doing work all day. And it was dinner time. You wouldn't welcome that servant in and say, no, take it off. I'll serve you dinner. Right? Those of you who've seen Downton Abbey know how this works. Right? Um, when it's dinner time, they've been working all day. The servants come in and you fix the master the meal. Then afterwards, if it's gone well, then you can eat. Essentially, Jesus is saying this. You servants of God, you can do nothing to ever achieve or earn all the grace and the goodness that God has blessed upon you. There's no paying God back. The invitation, my wife and I had this conversation, and we don't want to pick on any age group ever, but we've noticed there are some individuals in the society who want to get a trophy simply for showing up. Oh, you're here. Like, they want praise for showing up. Congratulations, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And in some regard, Jesus is saying, you don't praise someone for doing what they're supposed to do. It's, it's a kind of a harsh little story. But Jesus' point is this. We are never going to get out of the economy of God's grace. What I mean is this. You're never going to do enough to have paid back God that God's going to be praised for what you've done as if, oh, you've paid all the debt off. 
And so all that we do is to happen as a means of thanksgiving to God. Here's the question. Um, The fancy word is, all of our life is to be an act of doxology to God. By that, all we mean is this. We have to get out of the cycle that we're doing things simply out of a duty to God. But to recognize, after all his God has forgiven us, like that man who had forgiven the national debt, what does it mean that we live, we live every day in thanksgiving and joy to God? We're never going to pay that back. And so God's like, not only are you going to pay it back to me, but how can that, the joy of what I've done for you, offer that kind of grace to others? How do I know someone is experiencing God's forgiveness and love? They are a person that is loving and gracious and caring towards others. Some of you, um, I wonder about some Christians sometimes. I wonder if, um, and I'll say this carefully, if in the end there was no heaven, how many Christians would feel ripped off? Now, I think there's a heaven. Awkward pause, right? Um, But I think some people do this Christian thing simply for um, my version of they're expecting this hedonistic utopia they call heaven. Um, I think that there is a heaven, but I think some Christians, if you were to press their motives, they're looking for utopia and not God. And I think the invitation is, what are our motives? Um, I have friends, I'm sure none of you, who go on Facebook to declare all the great missional Christian things they do throughout the week. Now, I think it's okay to like celebrate that, but I wonder if sometimes the motivation is they like getting all the likes. Oh, you're a great Christian because you do, the, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes the motivation gets awkward, doesn't it? And I'm reminded of Jesus' saying, which says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And again, sometimes along the way, I think the question is, do we think we want to do things to get extra honor, extra glory, right? Now again, it's wonderful what you're doing. But this parable says, we are to live lives of, of grace and thanksgiving and service without the accolades flowing in. Then finally, remember, this is all about the ability to forgive. Um, Some are calling it the hug heard around the world. You're on social media this week. You maybe saw the story of um, the Jean family. There was um, an off-duty police officer in Amber who went home to her apartment. It was dark, actually went to the wrong building, wrong apartment, saw an intruder, and shot and killed this person. Well, she was in the wrong apartment, and the person was actually living there. Um, uh, her name was Amber, and who she killed, his name was Botham Jean. And so they've had this trial. She was convicted. If you saw this week, um, the brother of the victim, Brant, uh, got in front of the, um, the court uh, and kind of just offered final words, and his words are stunning. Uh, if you can do social media, I encourage you to Google it. If you haven't seen it yet this week, maybe many of you already have. His words were one of deep forgiveness. He said things like, I wish no harm upon you. Um, I don't wish you ill will. In fact, I love you. I forgive you. 
And then, in a stunning and powerful thing, he asked the, the judge, can I give her a hug? And so they give this hug. Um, one of the things he also says is one of the best things for you is that you might find Christ. Lots of commentary on that, on that episode and that scene. There are lots of issues about forgiving too early. I get it. But to me, it felt like a genuine expression of someone for whom experienced this great tragedy. He wasn't minimizing the pain she had caused. He wasn't overlooking the great sense that justice needs to happen. But he was saying, I want you to be released. I'm gonna, I want to release you from the pain and anger I might have towards you. Now, I imagine some of you have experienced some really intense tragedies. Maybe nothing to that extreme. But forgiveness is hard work. It shouldn't happen quickly or tritely. But it's amazing to me the commentaries about the folks who didn't like all that forgiveness. See, for in a world that's cutthroat, that is, you get what you earn and deserve, the invitation to grace and forgiveness is going to feel awkward and weird. But what that offered was a powerful scene of human beings where tragedy had struck. Negligence, for sure. But how can we move forward and begin to let folks, and it is hard. Um, I'm sure, in fact, he even said in his commentary, I'm not sure my family agrees with me. But this is where I'm at. And um, before she'll go off to jail for a certain time, um, he wanted to give her a hug as an expression of that love and forgiveness. I don't know what things in your life um, that you have done or that have been done to you. Forgiveness, as the disciples said, is hard. It is not easy and shouldn't happen quickly. I imagine if we had time to pass the mic, there are stories of either that you've been forgiven or forgiven others that have been deeply powerful and meaningful, but we know that forgiveness is ongoing. And one thing again we'll say, forgiveness is not ignoring what happened, pretending it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not like a control-alt-delete, erasing what had happened. Forgiveness is saying, how can we let God's love move us forward? And every situation is a little bit different. That's why I don't want to give this kind of one, kind of one cookie-cutter side of how that works. But I do know that forgiveness is about being set free and setting others free in the right time, in the right place. But it is hard. And in some regard, those words were exchanged. They both will live in that forgiveness for the rest of their lives. But it's not easy. Life is about people and the folks that God interacts with us. You see, our Bob, and remember his name was Sam, whatever he called him, Bob was given a new lease on life, but he actually never embraced it. The forgiveness that God desires to offer to you invites you then to embrace it by living lives of gracious hospitality to those around us. And it will feel weird and awkward, and not the world will always understand it. But it's about being set free, right? In the right time, in the right space. But in the end, God says, um, you can do this, but then can you have faith? Faith when it feels like there is no way. Faith when the, either the guilt of what you've done or the despair of what's been done to you, God wants to lean in and say, I want to be present in this long journey. The things that have happened do not have to be defining us forever. Let's pray. God, come on up. Gracious God, thank you again for this text. Lord, to be honest, some of it's weird and hard. 
But Lord, again, as you invite the disciples, you invite us to be people of faith to help us, Lord, not live lives that are simply more comfortable for us, but to be to be courageous. Lord, in this context of forgiveness, it can be hard. Lord, it's hard to sometimes forgive ourselves for the things that we've done. Lord, it's hard to reach out to others whom we have hurt. And Lord, there are also persons in this room who have been sinned against, and no one has come and told them, asked for an apology, and said they were sorry. And Lord, to be honest, some of them are still angry at you for letting it happen. So Lord, today, forgiveness can flow lots of directions. I pray, Lord, this day, that all of us can begin to experience in our own lives a deeper sense of your deep, deep love and forgiveness. But also, Lord, we can begin to experience the other healing for the sins that have been done to us or sins we've committed to our brothers and sisters. Lord, you desire to give us life. And Lord, in the midst of that, brokenness happens, evil happens, sin happens, and it's not always easy to navigate what do we do next. So Lord, for those today for whom they have testimony of your forgiveness, we celebrate that. For others, Lord, if they were honest, there is still deep, hard pain. Again, things done to them or things they have done. Lord, begin today to help them navigate deeper levels, not of erasing or ignoring the pain, but finding a way through it. The healing can come in time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.